one of my pet peeves is when somebody gets up at mass and they say, we'd like to welcome all the visitors today. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm like, why don't you just say, hey, we're glad you're here. Like, just mean it. You know, is that so hard? You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable podcast, episode 23, Let Them In, Hospitality as Key to the New Evangelization. In the third episode of our mini-series on evangelization, Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio shares how Christian hospitality and the witness of Christian community are among the most powerful yet underplayed instruments of evangelization in the life of the church. Tune in for tips to help you cultivate a hospitable parish, make space in your life for others, and create Christian community within your imperfect home. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. We're excited to be back on the line today with Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio. So welcome to the show, Dr. D'Ambrosio. Hey, it's great to be with you guys. Dr. D'Ambrosio has some fantastic resources online that are free at a website called thecrossroadsinitiative.com. You can also find it just by Googling DrItaly.com, and it'll pull that up. You can also pick up a copy of his new book, When the Church Was Young, Voices of the Early Church Fathers. And we're going to hear a little bit about that today. So, hello, Dr. D'Ambrosio. Today we've got Colin McIver on the line, calling in from Louisiana. What's up, Colin? Hey, how you doing, Alan? Doing well. So, we've been talking about the new evangelization, and we put that into historical context in the first episode. And then we talked about uh, the power of testimony and the need for uh, authentic relationships and sincere relationships and how people have a need to belong in others' lives. And so we need to give them an opportunity to do that and a place to do that that's safe. And today we want to talk about uh, hospitality and I would say uh, even radical hospitality. And uh, maybe we can just get started with talking about, uh, I'm going to flip this over to uh, Colin to uh, to kind of put you on the, the hot seat today, doctor. But maybe we can just start off with um, talking about uh, hospitality in the early church and tie it back to our first podcast. Sure. You know, first thing I want to say is the early church grew up in a traditional Mediterranean culture. Um, and to this day, people in the Holy Land, for example, um, who are old school people, uh, typically the, the Christians of the land and the Muslims of the land whose families have been there for years and years, they still practice hospitality like Abraham did for the three men walking on the road. I mean, there's a sense that the guest, it, it's a sacred duty to honor a guest, and to, nowadays, Bedouins still live in Israel. I, I lead pilgrimages to the Holy Land all the time. So Bedouin are people who live uh, out in camps, and they tend sheep, and they move. Um, but you can go; anybody can go into a Bedouin camp, and it's a law, it's a rule, that they house, feed, and take care of you, and put you in a place of honor next to the sheikh, and don't ask any questions uh, about why you're there for three days. They don't even have, they won't even ask you, by the way, what is your name? <laughs> it says you're welcome as part of the family um, and, and given uh, unconditional care and room and board. Um, but there's a sacred, this sense of the, of, the, of the duty of hospitality that was embedded in the culture in the, the, the world of Jesus and, uh, and the apostles that is gone now. Uh, but on top of that, Christians saw it as sacred duty to welcome people and in so uh, doing, welcoming Christ, you know, there's no one who gives a cup of cold water to someone who's, because he's a disciple of mine, who will not receive his reward. Um, you see that it, it reflected in the, in the New Testament in Jesus' words, um, but you also see 
you know, in Hebrews and in elsewhere in, in the New Testament, the, the duty of hospitality. And it was ma- mainly mentioned in terms of brothers and sisters in Christ. But obviously, we have to ask ourselves, why is it that the, the pagan world was one to the gospel? And we don't have lots of records of how this was done, but you know that Christian hospitality, the openness and love of Christian families um, to to people who were uprooted because they were in the cities, many people uprooted from their family um, in the Roman world. It was a very cosmopolitan world. Um, you, you got it. You know that that had to have an impact. In fact, what what we do see is pagans very much drawn to Christian community, seeing that even in the arena. Um, as people are being executed, the way they went to their death together, supporting each other, uh, that was a magnet. That that love of Christian communities um, was a magnet, and people found a, a place somehow there before they were baptized, before they were fully catechized. Uh, we we know that for sure, but we just you know uh, we wish we had uh, reports. So we we wish we had testimonies on how individual Christians in the early church reached out to their neighbors. Uh, but the big picture is that hospitality. Is is a was a crucial thing in the life of the early church, and you see that embedded right in the rule of Benedict. Benedict's rule was written out of that early church experience, um, just really a, a century and a half or so after the, the the empire began to be Christian. But those great habits um, were still there, and you see, you know, anybody who comes is to be welcomed. It's a sacred duty in a Benedictine monastery, and that's because it was a sacred duty in the early church. That's very good. I wanted to ask you all about Saint Benedict. I. Uh... Of course, I, I live in a, in a town. I, I say that the Catholicism where I am is uh, we, we like to put Tony Satries all over our food. We like to put Benedictine spirituality all over our Catholicism. <laughs> um, so that, that's that's kind of our, our thing. Um, so I, I definitely um, think that, that that vibe of hospitality um, that we we can learn out of Benedictine spirituality is, is, is evidence that early on in the life of the church, hospitality was was a thing, as they say. But it is a little harder to figure out exactly what the pattern of that in the early church was. We can find letters back and forth about theological controversies, and it's easier to know that in a sense than it is to know exactly um, what the what the flow of that thing is. Um, of course, hospitality is also a little bit of an intangible, but um, I guess, is, is there anywhere else you, you'd point in the life of the early church that, that seems to be, um, to, to give a pattern, I guess, of, of what Christian hospitality can and should look like? Yeah, let me just give you one example from St. Augustine. Everyone knows about St. Augustine. Unfortunately, most people don't know too much about after his conversion and what his pattern of life was. But Augustine was intensely a relational person, and he needed friendship and needed community. He was living in an in a unofficial monastic community. There wasn't any official monastic orders yet in Augustine's time. So he's living in a household, his mom's house, um, who had passed away. He was living there with a bunch of guys and seeking the Lord together. And um, that wasn't just uh, silence. It was interaction and conversation. When he, be, when he was drafted to be a priest, uh, which was not his idea, yeah, he was literally drafted. Um, the, the, he, he begged the bishop to give him a house where he could invite his community to live with him. So um, he got that. He got a house and, and the guys moved in. And um, for the rest of his life, as a priest and then as a bishop, that house had a constant stream of visitors from all over the empire, and the table talk there was amazing. Um, and Augustine actually had a rule, no trash talk of anybody else, no gossip will be tolerated. He actually wrote that in the wood of the table in a little epigram 
Um, so uh, other things were fair game, everything about, you know, talking about the scriptures, talking about what was going on mm-hmm. in the life of the church. But um, the, the guys who came and visited ended up being bishops all over, uh, you know, North Africa. So it's just an amazing uh, story of community and hospitality that we see in the life of, of Augustine himself. Oh, that's great. That That's actually a very usable thing, too. I think every, every parish office should have a table where we write those rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's right. no trash talk of anyone here. That's right. We'll do it in our parishes, our schools, and our homes. I think that's, just that's great. that alone would transform parishes. <laughs> yeah, right. yes. that'd be great. You can have a carving ceremony, invite the bishop. <laughs> we're, we're really getting hospitality in motion here. That, that's, if you don't that's mind, I'm, ex- gonna, I'm just going to pitch, just mention my book, When the Church Was Young, Voices of the Early Fathers, uh-huh. um, that dimension of Augustine's life. I try talking about the fathers to show community and hospitality um, because that's often never mentioned or, you know, in the little bios you read about these guys. So anyway, um, if, if anyone wants to look that up, they can find it in that book. That's great because that's that's often what I'm looking for in the lives of the saints too. There there are the things that you know, the kind of Wikipedia-able factoids about saints, but some of the best things we can learn from saints are those kind of intangibles, how they interacted, those mm. um, more anecdotal sort of things. So that's that's a great story. Um, I guess I guess maybe the next place to turn the conversation. Okay, so we can we can talk about the early church and find a pattern there. As as with everything, uh, a saint like Augustine can give us some pointers for hospitality. But we definitely have a situation in the modern church where, where the perception out on the streets is that um, so some of our evangelical and Protestant brothers and sisters are a lot better at hospitality in their church communities than we are. So I guess I would be curious um, if we could kind of uh, Q&A a little about what an authentically Catholic vision of hospitality looks like in um, in your your American parish, or or I won't say American parish because I know we have listeners in Singapore and Australia. Sorry, I didn't mean to insult you guys. Um, what does what does hospitality look like in 2017? This that's what I, I'm kind of getting at. Okay. Hey, the very first thing I want to point out is um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with learning from our evangelical brothers and sisters. Um, so, you know, authentically Catholic doesn't mean that we have to do it completely differently than them or we can't learn from them. Uh, honestly, Amen. in my mind, th- these are things, this is, ec- ecumenism is an exchange of gifts. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's what Paul, John Paul II said. So we have a lot to share with our evangelical brothers and sisters, but we, there's a lot of things that they've developed pra- pastorally in, in their communities that we need to learn from. So anyway, I just want to make that point, um, uh, uh, secondly, I, I want to say that there's there's three kinds of hospitality, I think. One, one is just one-on-one. When you talk to someone, you can be hospitable or not. Uh, and the next is in your home, um, in your family community, and the next is in the parish. So there's kind of like three levels of um, of hospitality here. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and, I, and I'm not sure, authentically Catholic, one of the things that authentically Catholic would, would, would mean to me is just the very human thing of the centrality of the meal, you know, the cent- mm-hmm. centrality of e- the, the human dimension of eating together, which has been transformed and divinized in the Eucharist as the central event of the family uh, of God. Um, you know, th- that that's something that we need to recapture that may or may not be something you find in other, you know, Christian communities. Um, but, but we certainly need to kind of recapture and understand what that means. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, I, I guess uh, maybe part of part of what I was getting at too, if you um, 
if you kind of just probe people in terms of their their experiences, a lot of people will say, "All right, so I, I went over to you know to to some other church on on a Sunday. Um, when I got there, there was somebody standing there with you know with an iPad gathering information. They were super welcoming. This is about the the uh, I guess the actual church experience. You know, so they they walked in. Somebody got their their information, their name. They made sure that they introduced them to some other people. They they, you know, they got a cup of coffee, they went in, there was, you know, great music, some sort of like Bible study, they got a lot out of the preaching, they went home on Tuesday, they got a, they got a phone call seeing how their week was going and inviting them into a small group, there, there was that kind of, uh, kind of follow up and personal attention, whereas um, I think a lot of people would say, if, if I went out of town to, you know, say I'm visiting, uh, you know, for, for a weekend in some city and I go into mass, it's very likely that I will walk in, go to mass and walk out and nobody will even know my name, you know? Um, so, so I guess part, part of what I'm getting at, um, is how in the, in the flow of, in the flow of liturgy and in the function of, of your, your modern parish, um, maybe one, what can we learn from our evangelical brothers and sisters? Um, and two, um, what, what does the actual, liturgy have to offer, um, in terms of, uh, you know, prompting that kind of, that kind of thing. So that, I guess what I mean too, is that it, it seems like with mass, um, you know, mass is, mass is the thing that we're here to do. And we go in, um, we enter into, into mass. And then when we're done, maybe, maybe we kneel down for a couple minutes and say some prayers and then we leave. Um, so how do we break through that and, and find, um, find that value, vibe of welcoming, um, centered around the liturgy? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm just going to say that the kind of welcoming that is experienced at evangelical churches, which I, I tell a story about this, you know, I'm not going to do it now because I don't want to eat up our time, but, you know, moving parishes, moving to a large uh, U.S. suburban parish that was very active and very big um, and, and having this real frustration <laughs> of breaking in, you know, first of all, if you wait to talk to people after mass, uh, unfortunately, you're in trouble because 75% of the people have left before the last song is over. So that's a problem. <laughs> and then and then the other people aren't really used to talking to anybody other than e- either, you know, leaving right away or talking to the people that they recently went on a retreat with or, or is already in yeah. their small group. So it's very clickish. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, I experienced that and, and very, mm-hmm. around that time went to an evangelical church to, you know, that, that I was invited to, that, that a colleague belonged to, a business colleague. And it was just a starkly, uh, just a dramatic <laughs> difference. But it, yeah. all the stuff that that evangelical parish did was authentically Catholic. You yes. know? And in other words, the welcoming, the interest, um, the, the, the attention, um, the openness, you know, about their life and not just coming to this religious event. I mean, par- part of the big problem is we have to undergo a transformation in our Catholic churches to think of ourselves as a community and not as a, you know, local sacraments factory. I hate to put uh-huh. it that way, mm. but, you know, this is the, the, me- the mentality, you know, for many of us, especially in the suburban American world, is that we go there to get religious goods, we go there as religious consumers uh, in a certain kind of a way, you know, yeah. to get our goods and leave. And that's th- that we got to break that mentality into, um, you know, it's part of the whole transition from a maintenance mentality to a discipleship mentality. We're disciples. We're, we're seeking to grow in Christ and, and we're in this together. And so mass isn't just going in to get, you know, to get the Eucharist and, and fulfill the obligation to leave. 
you know, it should be a time when there is fellowship going on, you know, um, particularly after mass and, and where there's, there's, it's, we're doing this together. We're not just all in the same place doing this religious thing at the same time for the convenience of the priest. We're, we're actually worshiping together. Um, and, and we need to build the community of the church and welcome people who are new, you know, that we don't know. So anyway, there's a mentality shift that needs to be made. And, and quite frankly, um, that, that, that's got to start, I think, it, it, the parish staff, staff has, to, has to teach that and model that. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've, I've seen parish staffs that are anything, le- you know, anything but welcoming in that sort of way. And then I've come across, I go around and speak in parishes all over the country and, in, and also, um, you know, ministries like college, college uh, um, ministries, you know, uh, outreaches, uh, Newman, Newman House type mm-hmm. situations. So I've seen... Um, amazing hospitality, but it is very rare. I would say that it's maybe two out of, you know, maybe 20% of the time do I see parish staff and, and priests modeling that. And and then after that, I don't see a lot of times them teaching the, the congregation. I, if I were a pastor, I would try to get the culture going that after mass, uh, yeah, talk to your friends. First of all, don't, don't leave before the last song and don't leave right after the last song's over. Um, spend at least five or 10 minutes, you know, getting to know some people. Um, yeah, say hi to your friends people that you know really well, but also make it a point to, to, to reach out and, and introduce yourself and, and, and learn something about somebody you don't know. It could be another person you've been there for 20 years, you never met them, but, or it could be somebody who just walked in off the street um, as a religious seeker or someone in from out of town. Um, so I, it, it, there's a big culture shift that needs to change, a mentality that needs to change. Um, you know, the church has community, first of all, um, right. as a community of disciples. And then secondly, you know, actually tra- retraining um, you know, people to start establishing new habits of actually reaching out, introducing, and welcoming. And that that's that's exactly it. It's it's a culture change, and it's the establishment of new habits. And that that of course is is hard. That um, I've I've seen parishes where it becomes some kind of explicit initiative, like we're gonna you know start a, a hospitality ministry, but it but it falls flat because it doesn't really make its way into the DNA of the culture. It's right. it's some sort of initiative that gets put on there. So maybe the next place the conversation goes is where does culture actually change? And um, of course, that's that's in the domestic church. So if we want hospitable parishes, hospitable parishes happen because you have hospitable families who see hospitality as a, a venue for um, for real, real evangelical outreach. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess maybe we should take a little break and a deep breath. And when we get back, we should talk about hospitality in the Catholic home and in the domestic church and how um, how maybe that can be the key to transforming um, parish culture. So you have a parish full of welcoming families who see it as a means of evangelization in their home. It's going to change everything. Sounds good. So you guys sit tight. We'll be right back. There might be an upcoming Ascension event happening near you, and we'd love for you to attend. Almost every week, our inspiring Catholic speakers travel to parishes, schools, and organizations around the country to ignite hearts with the love of Christ. Discover and register for upcoming Ascension events at ascensionpress.com events. All right, and we're back talking with Colin McIver and Dr. Italy about radical hospitality. Um, and we're going to talk about it in the home. Colin mentioned the need for uh, radical hospitality in, in people's homes. And Dr. D, I imagine you have uh, a little bit to say about uh, coming from an Italian family and the need for uh, welcoming in people and serving food and, and, and creating that environment. Wait a minute. Are you saying that Scottish and Irish people aren't hospitable, Alan? 
just your just your family, I think. Otherwise, <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> maybe true. Hey, hey, you know, at this juncture, really, we're asking this question about family. I just want to make two points, um, and one of them is we've got to know where people are, and if we're going to be effective in evangelization, and we're talking about hospitality in the context of evangelization. Uh, there's more to it than, than than that. Hospitality is more than just, you know, a way to evangelize people. But we're talking about it in, in context of evangelization. So here's number one. People in, in, in the Western world, I, I know this for a fact in suburban America, I imagine it would be very similar in Australia and in, um, in other, you know, English-speaking countries that are coming from Western culture. But natural communities have broken down to a great degree. Um, the increase of, of, of very alternative families and, and breakup of marriages means, you know, people haven't experienced a lot of times um, natural family. And a lot of times families are miserable anyway. Natural family can be full of, of problems and dysfunctional. And, and, you know, and so anyway, people haven't had the greatest experience of family. And a lot of times, particularly, I think, with m- the millennial generation, there's a tremendous yearning to belong um, and a need to belong and, and find a, a, a place where, you can, um, you know, take off your shoes and relax and be at home and 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 be loved and be secure. And and so anyway, I think that's important. We've got to know that that's where uh, a large number of people are coming from that we want to share Jesus with. Um, and the second thing that I, that I want to share is that um, we're we're in a in a post Christian culture, and a lot of folks, yeah, there's some folks who think religion's nonsense because of science, you know, they, so they have intellectual objections. But I think the biggest problem is that um, in their experience, religion doesn't matter or it doesn't make a difference or what they've seen of religion is irrelevant or or, or even anti, you know, just it's, it's, it's at cross purposes with, with their real needs for fulfillment. Um, and I'll say the Second Vatican Council Fathers, if you read the backstory of of, of the conversations going on there, they're very aware of the separation between religion and everyday life. And that's part of what the, the Council Fathers are trying to work against in the documents. Okay, so I'm saying all that because it's prelude to how can hospitality be effective in evangelization? Uh, that's, and, and, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm, that- I'm sorry. I, I, you, you were just, I wanted to stand up and say, amen, amen. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly that point, like so, so all the most modern research reveals that that people will say that the, the the rupture for them was something like faith and reason or faith and science. But my my hunch is is certainly right along the lines of what you're saying that that really the 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 rupture isn't so much an intellectual rupture; it's a relevance rupture. Yeah, Absolutely. So, sorry, I didn't I didn't mean to interrupt. I just got so excited. no, no, that's that's good. And and I think I think realistically, <laughs> even even those who have a strong intellectual. Um, uh, arguments with with the church and with religion. If you dig down, and this is the part of the rule, the role of asking questions uh, of people. When you dig down and you probe a little bit, the ninety percent of people's objection is emotional, stemming from disappointment, scandal, hurt. Um, you know, um, and and ten percent is intellectual, and that goes with people who've left the church for Protestant churches or people who have just checked out and you know don't don't want anything to do with religion, they're nuns, you know, or atheists or agnostics. So anyway, I just think we need to know this if, uh, coming into the, the story of, of, of family. Um, and and the, the family is the domestic church. I mean, honestly, this is the smallest unit of the church. 
And I know our families have different configurations. Some of us are, you know, have parents and children. Some are married couples. Some are married couples with children. Um, you know, single parent families. There's, there's different kinds of families that are Catholic families. But nonetheless, um, home. You know, people walking through the front door of our home. First of all, we need to invite people into our home, <laughs> and and that's something people don't do that often anymore. Um, right. And honestly, uh, that it, it, if we want to become authentically Catholic, it means hospitable, and that means we've got to be inviting people through the front door of our home. And we just finished the year of mercy fairly recently. You know, the door of mercy is not just in a basilica. Every Catholic front door ought to be a door of mercy, mm-hmm. where when people walk into the house, the first thing they experience is that they're valued, that they're welcomed, that they're important, and, and that they're loved. Um, and and that's expressed when they walk into the house um, with us being interested in them and actually asking questions of them to find out who what their life is about, who they are, what's going on with them. Um, you're not in the form of interrogation, not in a, in a way that doesn't let them eat their dinner. But <laughs> but <laughs> the point is, we don't sit there and just have a conversation among ourselves uh, and talk all about ourselves and let the person silently eat their food or drink their coffee or drink their wine. And that 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 is. Uh, not the message that we want to send. Uh, the message we want to send is you're important, you know, and, and that's God so loved the world translates very literally and you're important, you're valuable, um, you're precious. And so we're interested in you, <laughs> you know? And, and yes. so uh, um, uh, there's informal ways of having people over to our house of just, um, s- s- you know, sitting down, uh, showing people the garden or showing people our photos or, you know, having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. And then there's the meal. And so that meal begins with a prayer, because that's what we always do. We're not posturing. We're not modeling. Faith is just integrated into our life. There, there's religious art in our house, because Christ is central to our home. Um, and that's not out front, but it's there, and people see it integrated into life, and they see and they experience warmth from us. They experience us listening to them. And believe it or not, people put that together with the fact that Christ is central to our family, even if we're not talking about religion, even if we're not, you know, certainly don't want to proselytize and try to, you know, make it a point to instruct and, you know, you know, uh, proclaim the kerygma in some, uh, you know, some sort of a, <laughs> of a wooden way. No, we're just, the, the kerygma, uh, first and foremost, is that, that you know, uh, is your valuable. God so loved the world. We love you. God loves you. You know, yeah, let, let that be implicit in the experience that's beautiful. And so, so so now we're back to the other episode about testimony. <laughs> there you go. But that's you go. for so many, I'm sure that's that, that's part of my testimony too. There there are experiences of family and home that were were very um very critical. Um so I would say uh that maybe there are are those listening out there um, who are a little afraid or insecure because they feel like, well, my my family, my home's kind of a mess. Like there are, are all kinds of kinds of crazy things going on, and so maybe the there's an experience a little bit about an insecurity of opening the home, um, which may be all the more reason to to do so. But um, but I, I like what you say too that that we are in a post Christian world where for so many they just there hasn't been an experience of of family. So yeah, th- thank you for sharing that. I, I guess um, maybe I'll just I'll ask this because people like to to hear stories. Um, any anything come to mind in particular in in your experience of evangelization, the home and the family, um, whether it be you know how how you yourself were were evangelized in in hospitable um, families and such, or 
or uh, any any um, any people kind of come in and out of your door um, that that come to mind. Well, I'm just going to mention that we do a lot of different kinds of things. Some some things, I mean, it's really simple. Come over for a meal, non-holiday, etc. So it, it's our life, and our life we'd be always begin by, you know, praying a simple prayer um, at the beginning of the meal, which just makes God present. I mean, it just acknowledges mm-hmm. the presence of God. There's other times though that it's a special season. So we have in our house we do the Triduum is really special. And we do a lot of special stuff during the triduum. Tr- we do a, a Paschal meal, like a kind of modified Christian Passover meal. Um, we've invited people to that, and then they go to church with us afterwards. Um, sometimes um, on Good Friday, we go to church, uh, you know, to the liturgy. Um, but my kids came up with the idea back in their teen years of showing the passion of the Christ. Um, actually, you know, I co-authored a book that Ascension published, uh, The Guide to the Passion, you know. So I feel a real bond to the movie and really believe in the power of that movie to to bring people face-to-face with the reality of, of Christ's love. So anyway, um, uh, during Good Friday, you know, they invite a bunch of friends over. Now, it's Good Friday, so it's kind of cool, even if you're not serious about church, to, you know, watch the, Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. So there are kids there that really weren't very religious or active at all, Um and uh, the kids themselves took it upon themselves to, to, to lead this thing. And then afterwards, um, you know, my sons led some, some songs, you know, um, to lead the kids in prayer. Well, one girl that came to that event wrote back to me years later saying that that was the first time that she ever authentically felt like she encountered Christ. And it began her journey of discipleship. And thank you so much. You have no idea what, you know, you welcoming me into into your uh, your home meant to me and your whole family's witness meant to me. So it was like this, wow, I had no idea, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, our home can be used creatively in different kind of ways for evangelization. And, and and so, you know, the meal and the simple just having people over is one. And and other times it's, it's using a movie as a discussion point or, or something along those lines or a holiday meal where there's a little bit more emphasis on Christ at Christmas and at Easter time, you know? Uh, and th- that's a time when a lot of people are really hurting because th- they're away from family or they have no family. Um, so including them in those special times um, is a very powerful thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I another angle when we're we're talking about um, these sorts of experiences and you know even watch it watching the passion, there are probably um, ministry professionals listening who are like, oh, I can't do that because you know because it, it it's a rupture of a safe environment policy that there there used to be. It, it seems like more of a you know, more of a, an environment where you could, you could do that kind of thing. But I think what, what we're talking about here is just families organically doing that. So if you're listening, you're thinking, well, I can't do any of that because of the policy. Well, we're not necessarily talking about like the youth minister having people over. Like if you're the youth minister and you have kids of a certain age and it's their friends, well, that's, that's one thing. But, but it may be that as a, as a parish staff, um, what we're trying to do is trying to create a culture where, where parents and families are living discipleship in their families and they're having, you know, they're having the experience where, where the passion comes on during Holy week or, um, or where grace has prayed before meals. So, um, I, I know there are, are many who, because of painful things that have frankly happened in the church in the last, you know, the last couple of decades, I feel like, oh, well, we can't, we can't do stuff in the home anymore, but, but the home can still do stuff in the home. Um, so, you know, like you, your, your family can still, can still do these sorts of things. Even if the days of like the youth minister being able to like set up their house as a hub, maybe those days are over, but that's, doesn't mean our hands are tied for these sorts of things. We can, um, we can encourage and and model it um, for families. I just want to go back to talking about hospitality in the church. You know, the danger Mm -hmm. all the time is, 
you know, evangelism or evangelization is the, the job of the evangelization committee and, and the, the minister, the director of evangelization. And hospitality is the job of the hospitality ministers, you know, and the, you know, and, 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 and the whole point is the whole church needs to be the evangelization committee and the whole church needs to be the hospitality committee. And so it, it's got to be part of Catholic culture once again to be welcoming people in our homes. Yeah, it shouldn't be the youth minister having to do this. This, this is something that, you know, individuals, families ought to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And the youth minister can encourage and mentor and that right. sort of thing. But, but ex- exactly that, that, um, some of that like committee think is something we have to, to overcome. Um, how, how important is good food to all of this? Well, uh, I think food's pretty important. I mean, look at the Eucharistic miracles. First of all, multiplying the loaves and fishes is awesome, but my favorite is Cana. You know, we're uh-huh. talking six, six, 20 to 30 gallon jugs of wine of the highest quality. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this gets back to love of creation and the goodness of creation. Now, honestly, it, it really doesn't have to be some elaborate spread, but it seems to me that food itself is a beautiful gift from God and all of us have different traditions of food, depending on our family, our background, whatever. But to do something nice, uh, food-wise, for someone—not uh, like Mary, where you lose the perspective. I see Martha, excuse me, in Luke ten, where you lose perspective, and all you're doing is fussing about the food and don't pay any attention to the person and create an atmosphere of fuss. No, that's not good. But but doing something beautiful, some little thing that's beautiful, um, whether it be a, spe- a little special dessert or a nice, you know, the nice main course or something or a, a nice tea or glass of wine or whatever is appropriate in the situation. But, but having a little pride in your, um, in the food that you present is a good thing is, you know, without it being a distraction, it's a beautiful thing. It's part of the experience. Yeah. And I, and I, I like that as, as you start thinking about that, there's a lot of scripture that comes up. It's, it's very scriptural to serve good food. I, I would also point out that in, in John six, after the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, the bread was apparently really, really good because they they pretty much just like chased them all the way to Capernaum to get more bread. So, <laughs> I mean, that must have been some that's good stuff. Really good point. You know, I hadn't really thought of that, but that's that's really good. <laughs> so so yeah, those those are very good points. Um, I guess uh, the the next dimension. Um, so we t- we talked about uh, in the in the life of the parish in the life of the home how those two are not they're distinct but they're not separate realities and then the third dimension would be um, just becoming a person of hospitality um, hospitality that flows from an interior life so um, what would be your your number one recommendation for someone who's listening and says and, and acknowledges oh, well I have a, I have a ways to grow how do, how do you uh, maybe have that kind of Abraham and, and three visitors experience where you become interiorly uh, a person of hospitality? Well, uh, in hospitality, you make space um, in your schedule, in your life, in your home um, for another person or group of people. You make space. And a lot of us are so cluttered with busyness and agenda items that we don't make space for people. Um, I, I think in a conversation at a party after mass, uh, you know, in, in the neighborhood, um, making some space for people and opening our heart to people, welcoming people into our life, our heart, our experience. That's that, that can be done one-on-one. That's hospitality. Um, that's welcome. And part of that is we, we talked a little bit before about testimony. Uh, we, and we also talked in this podcast, um, about, you know, wow, I don't want to invite people into my house cause it's messy. And what will the kids say? And, 
Part of what we have to understand is welcoming means we welcome people into the reality of our life, which is not perfect. Um, and, and part of the strength, as we mentioned earlier, part of the strength of, of credibility, of relatability in evangelization is people knowing we haven't had it all together. We currently don't have it all together, but, but the Lord does, and he's come to us, and um, he's done some things, changed some things, healed some things. We're still a work in progress. We're honest about that. Our home is a work in progress. We're honest about that. It's not perfect. It's not antiseptic, you know? Um, and, and so it, it, we've got to get to this place of humility where we understand that's part of hospitality and part of evangelization is mm-hmm. we're sharing the reality of our life, which includes some of the brokenness and, and limitations uh, of our life. Warts and all. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> that's right. That's beautiful. Well, uh, Dr. D, you, sir, are a gentleman and a scholar, as they say, in, in, the, uh, in every sense of the word. Um, I, uh, I, I would say this, um, Alan, your honor, I have, I have no further questions, <laughs> but, but I, I, I am personally inspired to, to embark in growth and hospitality. And actually when we were talking about topics, I, I picked, I picked this one, um, because it's, it's one that I, I'd like to grow in that, um, that I, I feel like the, the opening of, of our home has often been to, you know, people who are kind of in the same walk, but I, um, would, would love to have a, a more open home and a more open perspective, um, you know, in terms of hospitality, warts and all, you know. So, uh, so this has been a, a very productive conversation. If, ever, if no other listener listens to this podcast and gets anything out of it, um, I, I, I did. So I hope that's <laughs> But I think a lot of people will relate to this. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And there's, there seems to be, um, I just say to sound judgmental, but such a lack of hospitality in our, in our parishes, you know, where there's the sense mm-hmm. of, um, one of my pet peeves is when somebody gets up at mass and they say, we'd like to welcome all the visitors today. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why don't you just say, Hey, we're glad you're here. Like just mean it. You know, is that so hard? You know, so, but, you know, in a sense, as what we talked about today was you can't manufacture that. It's just gotta be sincere and authentic and from the heart. And if you're welcoming somebody in and it's before mass, like you need to just find something about that person that is interesting to you and ask them questions. And that person will feel welcomed can be, you know, as simple as that sometimes. So, so yes, this was great. It's been it's been a pleasure having you um, on the show a couple times in a row now. Um, for all of our listeners out there, if you want to get a hold of Dr. Italy, you can Google him at dridley.com and you'll find his website, The Crossroads Initiative. Uh, as always, please, if you want to reach out to us, leave us a question, uh, leave us a comment in the sections of the podcast. You can leave us and send us an email at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. Know that we are praying for you guys. Uh, Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing good work. And uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.